Okay, well, um, if you have a Bible app or you brought a Bible, or um, please turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 17. We are uh, in a sermon series on the Holy Spirit, and you may have noticed that there is a progression in this sermon series. Sermon 1 laid the foundation telling us that the third person of the Trinity works to manifest the glory of God the Father and the glory of God the Son. And and everything that the Holy Spirit does is under that umbrella of glory. And then we looked at the spirit of recreation. God gives us new birth through the Holy Spirit. We are regenerated. We are made new. And last week, we looked at the spirit of the union with Christ. And we saw that in eternity past, In love, God united us to his eternal glorious son so that in a very real way, uh, we died with Jesus and we rose with Jesus and we are seated in the heavenly realms now with Christ. And today, though, we, we dig deeper into this grace of God through the Holy Spirit as we meditate upon our being adopted by God as his dearly loved children. And this is the work of the spirit of adoption. Our text, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we we may also be glorified. With him. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, this truth that is laid before us in Scripture, not just here in this passage, but in a myriad of other places, we see that you take people who do not deserve it and make them your children. We've been brought in to the glorious family of God, and this changes everything in how we see ourselves and how we're able to live with great freedom and confidence. Impress upon us this morning by your spirit that that we truly are adopted, have this fruit bear in us so that we can live more fully as your children, we pray. Amen. When you hear the word orphan, what comes to mind? Maybe you think of Orphan Annie, that comic strip slash book slash movie slash Broadway production, or perhaps the recent Netflix hit miniseries, uh, The Queen's Gambit. 
Or perhaps maybe you just think of some poor dog or cat stuck in a cage at a shelter. An orphan is no way to live. To know that other kids have families with moms and dads who delight in them and care for them. To constantly be on guard. To always have to put on a good show for any prospective adopting family. And if you become adopted, good luck giving up the ways of the orphan. What if this couple decides they do not like me? What are the things that I will need to hide for fear of being found out? An orphan is no way to go through life, and yet that is how many Christians live. On the one hand, on the one hand, we understand that God is now our Father in heaven, as Jesus taught us to pray, right? Our Father who art in heaven. On the one hand, we get this in our heads, but isn't it true that our hearts can cause us to live quite differently? See, Christians are meant to live with a growing assurance that God really is their Heavenly Father. But do we not often feel alone? Do we not often lack intimacy with God? And are we not like orphans when we become anxious over felt needs like relationships and money and health? Our Father in Heaven wants us, wants to free us from worry, but we instead live as orphans. When we live this way, we are living out what Paul refers to in our passage. In verse 15, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. To be a Christian means that God has sent and you have received the spirit of adoption, not a spirit of slavery and fear. Slavery to what? Well, sin, yes. Satan, yes but also slavery to self-righteousness in the fear that animates you, that causes you to be, become anxious. You can know that you're living in fear and not freedom by how you respond and interact with others. Orphans are defensive. They cannot listen well. They always assume that others have bad motives. They're good at pointing out others' flaws, but they themselves cannot tolerate criticism. They need to be right. They can only handle praise. An orphan needs to look good and be right. It's all about performance. Last Thursday was a glorious day. I was sitting outside um, studying in preparation for this very sermon, and my wife Leslie came and stood by me, and she said something like it, it it looks like you're making some good headway on your sermon. Truth was, I'd hardly just begun. So I felt obligated to let her know all the things that interrupted my sermon prep the day before. If she just knew I needed to be right, I needed to look good, I needed to correct her, I needed her to feel sorry for me. And you should have seen the look on her face. She's like, I was just trying to be nice. My friends, that's a simple but sorrowful example of how orphans live. Question is, do you see this in your own life? But it's not what God desires for us. 
And we know this because God didn't just forgive us our sins and send us on our way. No, God, God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, he adopts us. And when we understand this, it changes everything in how we see God and see ourselves. It changes how we live. We come to live with confidence and freedom. That's what we're going to look at this morning. The spirit of adoption makes us children of God. We're going to investigate that by trying to address two questions. What is adoption? And what does adoption mean for us? First, what is adoption? Well, simple definition is adoption is a legal act where God, um, on our behalf, takes us to be his very own children with full rights of firstborn son. To illustrate this, uh, there's a story, a young man named Patrick uh, makes this observation. He writes, I happen actually to have been adopted as an infant, so the doctrine of adoption is especially real to me. Briefly, it means that while I was without a future, a hope, even a family to belong to, somebody gave me all these things and more. And this was done not because of anything I could ever give back in return for such a gift, but just because my parents wanted, even needed, to express their love to someone. Likewise, according to the word of God, God the Father chose me and adopted me so he could love me. I will never fully understand why my parents or God chose me, but I am forever humbled and just plain amazed that they did. You know, adoption is good, and yet many today view adoption in a negative light, right? Um, as if it's some inferior way to belonging to a family. Sometimes when children find out they're adopted, they react negatively. I've seen this so many times. In Paul's day, though, it was actually cherished and even was a superior way to enter into a household. How so? Well, when a, in the, when a father in the Greco-Roman world didn't have a son to pass along his estate to, he would find a son, an adult son, you know, someone who was clean-shaven and knew how to run things, uh, and he would adopt him and give him the full rights and privileges um, of, a, of a son. And in the eyes of the Roman courts, an, an adoption solidified the child as a legal member of the new family. Everything that was due, to, due for a naturally born child was now assigned to an adopted son. He became a full heir to his father's entire estate. Also, check this out, the adopted son was set free from his past. His old family, if he had one, no longer held any rights over him. Add to this any debts or obligations he had prior to being adopted were wiped out, right? I'm gonna get a car loan and then get adopted. All right. Even if he had a record of a crime, it was wiped out. And in the eyes of the Roman law, an adopted person was literally and absolutely the son of his new father in every sense. Now, if adoption in ancient Rome was such a good thing, how much more so our adoption by God? It's also important that we understand that God adopts us as sons. Look at Romans 8.15. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons in Galatians 3.4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
a text we looked at last week, Ephesians 1.5, in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Understand this, whether male or female, a boy or a girl, your adoption by God is as a firstborn son. We've discussed this before, but let me re reaffirm why it's important to understand what we call your sonship. See, Paul is not a misogynist, nor is he ignoring the women in the church. No, he's espousing an amazing biblical doctrine of sonship. Remember what sonship is? We've talked about it before. In ancient cultures, only the firstborn son was the rightful heir to the father's estate. Secondborn sons, third, fourth, fifth, forget about it, including all daughters. They had no share in the estate, or very little, if the elder brother perhaps would share it with them. When Paul says that we're sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, he is speaking of our newfound status of all Christians, whether male or female. Verse 17 calls us what? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Jesus Christ is the firstborn son of God, and because of our union with Christ, we too have his firstborn son status. It's amazing, right? So every Christian, male or female, has the status of firstborn son in God's eyes. All of his inheritance is yours in Christ Jesus. That's what sonship means. Now, can you imagine now how knowing this changes how you live? So that's a quick look at what adoption is. Now for a look at what adoption means for us. What does our adoption by God look like? And what we're going to see is that the, the spirit of adoption brings the reality of adoption into our daily lives. And in our passage, we see that there's three areas where the spirit of adoption um, brings these realities to us. What we're going to see is the spirit of adoption leads us, frees us, and speaks to us. First, the spirit of adoption leads us. The children of God are led by the Spirit of God. First, Paul writes in verse 12, saying, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. In other words, Christian, you owe nothing to that old man or woman you once were. Good riddance. No longer must you be led by the sinful flesh. We've been set free from any obligation to fulfill the lusts of our fallen human nature. Instead, we are debtors to the spirit of adoption. We see in verse four, 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. If you are an adopted child of God, you will experience being led by the spirit of adoption. Now, Christians today, when they hear the words being led by the Spirit, they tend to have their eyes in the wrong place when it comes to this leading that the Spirit does. For many Christians, to be led by the Spirit has to do with opening and closing doors in their lives. And so people will say, the Spirit of God led me to do this or led me to do that, which means that the Spirit of God directed them to go here, to go there, to take this job, to not take that job. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting God to lead you, and God does desire to lead his people where he wants them to go. 
But that's not the primary meaning of the phrase being led by the Spirit. Now, we want the Spirit to reveal God's will for our lives, but isn't it true? God's will for our lives is often hidden, (laughs) hidden in his mind from us. If we just knew what he, the suffering that he has in store for us in the next month or two, if we knew ahead of time God's will with regards to that, we would turn tail and run. (laughs) Thankfully, he doesn't lead us in that way where the Spirit tells us what's to come. So often, though, people will come to my office, and now none of you will ever do this again, but um, and they come and they, they'll say things, they need help discerning. Help me discern what God's will is for my life. They think I'm a pastor, so I'm, you know, I'm able to have this special channel up to God, and here's what the Spirit tells me. Uh, you're to uh, quit your job as an investment banker and take up the ukulele. Um, what I have them do is read 1 Thessalonians 4.3. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Here's what it says. For this is the will of God. You ready? Your sanctification. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. We're so concerned trying to figure out what job to take or man to marry, and the spirit of adoption is saying, no, no, no. I'm going to work in you to make you more and more holy because you are a child of God and God's children become holy. We're going to get into this more in our next sermon on the uh, the spirit of holiness. But when we hear the phrase being led by the spirit, it mostly relates to you becoming more like Jesus through the painful process of sanctification. That is what the spirit of adoption does for the children of God. That's what Paul is talking about in this passage. He's talking about putting off the old self and putting on the new. The spirit of adoption leads us into holiness. Like I said, there'll be more on that next time. So the spirit of adoption leads us. He also frees us. The spirit of adoption frees you to live in newness of life with a new identity or status as firstborn child of God. Now, this book of Romans is all about this newness of life that God gives us through the Holy Spirit. In verse 15, Paul mentions two spirits, the spirit of slavery and the spirit of adoption. To the Christian, he writes, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. No, you've received the spirit of adoption. Causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit of adoption frees us from slavery to fear, and it makes us sons, not slaves. God has adopted us as firstborn sons with all the rights and privileges of our elder brother, Jesus Christ. Now, sounds great on paper, but tell me, Christian, how does this all play out in your daily life? You know that holiness is where you're headed. And you know that there's so much work ahead, right? It's not just me, right? And you try at times, and you fail. What tends to happen then? Are we not tempted to fall back into fear and live as orphans? 
to think that somehow we blew it with God, that surely he's got to have it up to here with me now. See, here's our predicament. See, every Christian knows that he or she is saved by grace. The problem is we forget that we live each day of our lives by God's grace. If we aren't careful, we can live as if our relationship with God is based upon how well we do all the so-called things Christians are supposed to do. And if we live this way, we end up living in fear, like orphans, and not like adopted children of God. Orphans are defensive and always need to be seen as right. They all get up all in your grill. They judge others. And then they don't even hold the same standards to themselves. They lack love. They lack joy. When you're an orphan, you're not joyful. But when your identity is changed into an adopted child of God, you don't need to defend yourself. No more. No matter what people say or think. You are open to criticisms. In fact, you welcome it. You become teachable. Whereas the orphan is anxious over felt needs like relationships and money and health, the child of God trusts in his or her father in heaven and has confidence in his loving care and is therefore what? Freed. Freed from worry. The Christian who understands her sonship has a growing assurance that God is really her loving heavenly father. The Christian who rests in his or her status as a dearly loved child of God is able to take risks and, yes, even fail since their righteousness is in Christ. They have no record of their own to boast in or to protect or to defend. Paul tells us that we have not received the spirit of fearful orphans. No, we've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. My friends, when we fall short, when we feel inadequate, or we feel alone, we have the spirit of adoption in us by whom we cry out to God. And notice we don't cry out to some remote, aloof deity. No, we cry out just like Jesus did, saying, Abba, Father. Now, Abba is Aramaic. Uh, it's like baby babble. It's like when a little kid first learns how to say dada or papa. This is astonishingly childlike behavior. And the Greek word for cry here indicates the presence of intense feelings. The atmosphere is not a, one of tranquility, but one of crisis. You know what that's like. When my daughters cry like this, there's nothing I desire more than to draw them into my arms so that I may comfort them. How much more so, your heavenly Father? Christian, you are God's child right now. He delights in you as you are. He isn't watching over you, looking for you to fail so that he can roll his eyes in disgust. (laughs) He wants you to succeed, and he loves you when you fail. See, he sent the Holy Spirit into you so that you'll not only be led by the Spirit, but actually succeed in becoming more and more like a son or daughter that he's calling you to be. And when you succeed in the Spirit, Abba Father rejoices over you. 
But not only that, when you and I fall short, and we do often, Abba Father's love for you is not in any way diminished. You are not an orphan who has to act good or else. You're not a stray dog living under fear of ticking off your new owners and being returned to the pound. You are one whose status is child of God, and it can never be taken away by any of your failings. Do you believe this? You have been adopted with a costly adoption fee. God sent his only begotten son to live in your place, to die in your place, so that you can become God's son or daughter. Tell me, does this not give you confidence to be led by the Holy Spirit in the renovation of your soul? Orphans are afraid to look at their shortcomings. If they see some character flaw, they feel like they have to hide it or downplay it or shift the blame on someone else. Good luck becoming more like Jesus if you can't feel safe enough to look at all the crud inside you that you need to own. But your status as a child of God allows you to take long, thoughtful looks at all of your sinfulness and then own it and feel remorse and cry out, Abba, Father, forgive me, wash me, hold me close. So draw near to God and hear him remind you of his love for you. Christian, hear your Abba, Father, say, I love you no matter what. Even this we can get through. Christian, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Because of this, we're not to fall back on the fearful life of an orphan, but we are to rest and delight in the grace in which we now stand. So the spirit of adoption leads us and frees us. Lastly, the spirit of adoption speaks to us. First things first, to whom does the spirit of adoption speak? He speaks to us. Look at verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Amazing, right? This here is like courtroom language, like testifying in a court of law. as a witness on the stand. Now imagine if you are on trial and up comes a credible witness to speak on your behalf. Wow, right? Thank you. What a relief. Also have in mind with regards to your sin patterns in your life, have in mind Satan accusing you in this courtroom. You failed again today, didn't you? You're not much of a good Christian, are you? Everybody else has their act together, but not you. When are you ever going to grow up? Perhaps your anger erupted again, or the temptation you resolved to say no to got the best of you. And then the orphan thoughts start to populate your head. You know what that's like. Thankfully, the spirit of adoption speaks to our spirits and says, you are not an orphan. Yes, own up to your sin, but also see that your Father in heaven has washed you and he's cleansed you forever and ever. So embrace your status that you've been given. Live not in fear, but live in freedom. That is what the spirit of adoption does in our daily lives. The Holy Spirit bears witness to two realities. One, what does he bear witness to? That 
We are the children of God. I know you don't feel like it today, but guess what? You're a child of God. It's not like he hasn't seen this before. He'll probably see it again tomorrow, but you're his child. And he witnesses that, that we are heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. Look at this in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Oh, did you catch that last part, though? Why did, why, why did Paul have to put that in there? Provided we suffer with him, that we might be glorified with him. So many Christians become paralyzed when life doesn't go according to their plans. I know a number of your stories here. I know that's happened in your lives. It's happened in my life as well. Christians can doubt God's presence. Maybe he's left me as an orphan to struggle on my own in this marital crisis, financial issue, body ailment. But Paul tells us and Jesus tells us that the Christian embraces suffering. Being an adopted child of God in no way exempts you from suffering and trials. In fact, it might present more of them in your life as you suffer for Christ's sake. The mature Christian knows that God uses trials to discipline us so that we may become more like our elder brother. And this is a good thing, right? It is. We must remember this new life in Christ feels very much like dying. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his wonderful book, The Cost of Discipleship, wrote these famous words. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Listen, when we live as orphans, we will run from the suffering and then, and then feel like God has abandoned us. But when the child of God knows he or she is an heir, a fellow heir with Christ, such a child enters into suffering with confidence. Confident what? One, that Christ is with us in our suffering. That's what Paul says. And two, that Christ will turn our suffering into glory. How do we know he can do that? Well, he did it for himself. He rose in glory. And the same spirit that raised him from the dead dwells in you, Christian, the spirit of adoption. So this morning, we've taken a quick look at the spirit of adoption. I hope we've seen how marvelous it is that God just doesn't forgive you your sins and then send you on your way. No, he cleanses us so that he can adopt us as his very own. So, Wrap your head around this. Christian, your identity is grand. From God's perspective, you are the firstborn son. You are as if you're Jesus. That's from God's perspective. If you missed last week's sermon, you can go and listen to it. It's in there somewhere. You are treasured and you are loved and you always will be. In 2009, two strays were living in a cave. No, not stray dogs or cats. Stray brothers. Geza and Zolt Palati were so poor and destitute that they were forced to live in a cave in Hungary. Abandoned in an early age by their father and mother, they lived as orphans. 
They said, all we really had was each other. No women would look at us living in a cave. <laughs> kind of makes sense. But now that has changed. And a lot of women would be glad to make their acquaintance. See, in 2009, their long-lost German grandmother passed away. Lawyers from the estate tracked down the brothers and a sister who lived in America, and they all found out that they were fellow heirs of an inheritance worth $6.4 billion. <laughs> Amazing, right? They said that they had heard their grandmother had some money, but they had no understanding of the inheritance that would one day be theirs, nor did they comprehend how great it would be. So to us, in Christ, we are fellow heirs of God. All the glory of the heavenly age to come is ours. And not because we've earned it. It's our Father's wealth. And by God's grace, we've been adopted into his family. Oh, that we would but believe this, for it changes everything in our lives. May the truth of our identity in Christ sink deep within and if we think about it, this is an identity that we just continually need to appropriate every day, right? Why do we need to appropriate this every day? Because isn't it true, we, we always seem to go back to our old orphan ways. You know, the orphan ways in my life, they even creep into my dreams. I had a dream last night that we launched a new church and I was the pastor there and it was this giant auditorium with stadium seating. Thousands of people were there. And we, the, uh, the band was up and we started the worship service. But no one could sing because why? Yeah, this is what pastors dream about. This is our nightmare. The lyrics weren't appearing up on the wall and people were like, ah, ah, ah. so I'm running around this giant stadium. I'm getting lost. I'm trying to find Adriana. I don't even know where she is. And I keep running into people I know, and people are just chit-chatting, like no one's even able to worship, and there's thousands of people here. And then I, then I realize people are laughing at me because, because there's a giant rip in the back of my pants. And, and people are seeing this, and I'm just like so embarrassed, and, and the orphan comes out. I'm like, this is all falling apart. Little did I realize, though, there's thousands of people gathered. <laughs> we'll do it again next week. We'll get it right. All I could worry about was my rear end being seen and, and the lyrics not up on the screen. The old orphan, the orphan ways, they're, they're, they come quickly to us. So we need to remind ourselves every day, I'm not an orphan. I'm a dear little child of God. And so maybe rejoice with those words that, that were read earlier in 1 John 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we we should be called children of God and that is what we are so let us desire to have the spirit of adoption speak to us each and every day to witness to our spirits that we are firstborn sons in God's eyes and if sons then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ let's pray Father, oh, that we would press this truth deep into our souls. May we see that you have rescued us, rescued us from the domain of sin and darkness and eternal separation from you. 
And you've brought us, not into just a, a, a forgiveness of sin, but brought us into your very family. We are firstborn sons. And this changes everything. May Grace Presbyterian Church, may we understand this truth more and more and more. May it be pressed deeply, not just into our heads, but into our hearts, that we would not live as orphans, but that we would walk with freedom and confidence as your dearly loved children. Amen.